your brother's hungry? Don't you know your sister's lonely? Don't you know there's babies crying? Don't you know your brother's dying? Greetings. I'm Dr. Anthony Smith of Alashe Center for Enrichment, and welcome to Black Folks Do Therapy, where we endeavor to challenge you to think critically about your mental health and overall wellness. Our goal is to inspire you to align your actions and values so that you might live your life fully 86,400 seconds every single day. We do this in part by asking questions and raising issues that you may not have previously considered. Ultimately, we encourage you to do those things that help you to live your best life consistently, always working towards balance. And welcome to our next episode of Black Folks Do Therapy. Thanks for joining us again. We're always glad to have you joining us to talk about things related to mental health and Black folk and how we do what we do. I uh, hope you all are doing well and surviving the, all the difficult things we're facing in this world today. It's, it's quite a time to be alive. Um, I think we're going to have to call this time period after 2020 um, because there's life before 2020 and life after 2020, kind of like BC and AD, right? Mm. Um, so we're going to be talking about some of the things that are, uh, that have us moving into life after 2020. Um, we're joined today by a colleague of mine, Dr. Monique Swift. She is a psychologist out of New Jersey. Um, she's actually currently the president of the New Jersey chapter of the Association of Black Psychologists. Uh, she does a ton, ton of consulting and trainings and uh, private practice work. And she's been in this field a long time and has a lot of experience and has some wonderful things she's going to share with us today. So, Dr. Monique Swift, thank you for joining us. How are you doing today? I have had better days, but <laughs> I'm here. And especially in the after, after 2020, Mm -hmm. You know, uh, space, is, I have to say, it's a blessing from God to be able to be here. Yes. Because uh, there's a lot going on. So, but thank you, Anthony, for having me and uh, welcoming me on your show. Yes, yes. So let, let's jump in. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about, you're in, you're in New Jersey, so you've been um, in the epicenter or close to the epicenter for the uh, COVID condition in the United States. Uh, tell, talk a little bit about what that has been like for you and how, what kind of energy you have noticed and how you've been working with folk who have been dealing with this pandemic. Mm -hmm. It's been, it's been uh, I guess, a confluence of different emotions and experiences. Initially, when things kind of hit, um, it hit New York hard, um, right in New Jersey. New Jersey got hit hard as well. Um, and initially it was this, this fear, this anxiety, and everybody um, kind of wanted to, you know, a, fighting over toilet paper in the supermarkets and um, really just trying to, you know, survive. Um, people kind of went into this panic mode and, um, and then we went from that right into the lockdown. Um, and quarantining. Um, and so the, I think that initial period, I would say, was marked by just kind of uncertainty and anxiety um, and people trying to kind of get their footing and figure out how to be 
um, that shifted uh, quite a bit. Um, then we had a wave here of death that I also personally experienced um, the loss of somebody who, who I knew, but I knew many people who were close to me who experienced a lot of loss. Um, I'm honestly seeing, that seems to have to be abating right now a bit. Um, not to say that the deaths are not happening, they certainly are, but um, it, it, there was this wave where everybody that I knew left and right was just in this mourning period. Um, and it was so hard because we couldn't hold on to the things that we traditionally held on to in terms of grieving, in terms mm -hmm. of being together. And, um, and then, you know, it seemed like there was also underhanded, shifty things that were happening and um, as it relates to, you know, not honoring the remains of those who have left us. And so um, that, that was hard for a lot of people. It was just kind of insult to injury. Mm -hmm. um, and so then there was this kind of period of grief where people were just kind of down and grieving. Now it seems like we've kind of shifted into a phase of like, okay, I'm, I'm tired of this and I'm ready to go. And I'm talking kind of more on a national level. I'm tired of this. I'm ready to go, to go back to normal. I'm ready to um, get back to life. Um, but now, so like that's kind of the national uh, experience, I would say kind of across the board. But Black people... Um, specifically, I think, uh, had a parallel experience, but had some deeper uh, impact. Mm -hmm. I'd say, of course, we know that the disparate death was hugely um, uh, an, an issue for us. And then, of course, we have this issue going on now with the multiple deaths that have happened uh, with the police and uh, citizen vigilantes and so forth. So. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of struggling, but I initially responded by saying that there was kind of a confluence of different emotions. And one of the things that I want to point out that I have seen that has been encouraging um, is I'm seeing Black people band together and say, hey, we have to help each other. Mm -hmm. We have to do something. And that has been really, really encouraging. We're finding ways. Um, a part of a listening line that is being put together right now in order to help Black first responders. And when we say first responders, we use that term loosely. Um, first responders are not just the doctors and the nurses who are servicing people in the hospital, but first responders are also the bus drivers who get them there. The lunch, the people who are in the, work in the cafeteria or the maintenance people in the hospital. So, um, and that's a, a product of the um, Institute of the Black Family, Black Family Summit. And I'm really proud to be a part of that. Um, I have seen some wonderful, uh, you know, talks and forums, of course, from Black Therapy Central, um, and then others as well that have really highlighted um, the struggle and given voice and name what we're going through, which is, I think, somewhat cathartic and healing to be able to kind of have that validation and acknowledgement. So I'm sorry, that's a long answer. No worries, no worries. That's okay. Yeah, so um, speaking of how people are dealing with the COVID, and we're going to move to the more pressing things that have been going on as well. But I just wanted to, you mentioned 
Um, the and I'm, I'm glad, well. First of all, I'm glad you made the distinction with the first responders because um, I think there are a whole host of people that get left out. Um, so I'm glad you included them and in that you, there's work being done to make sure they're getting what they need uh, to to manage their mental health also. Um, but I'm particularly concerned about the uh, issue with how people are managing grieving and dealing with. Uh, a new way of saying goodbye to their loved ones. This is unprecedented. And, and I don't think anybody in their right mind could have predicted or prepared for seeing their loved one on, on FaceTime or at a distance and not being able to come together in the way that we do as a community to send the spirit off, to grieve the loss of someone that we love. Um, how have you been, what have you been noticing and how have you been working with people who have been struggling with this? Um, I haven't had any clients who I'm working directly with who have, uh, you know, are kind of struggling or dealing with the grief. But I have had, uh, I'm in professional circles where there were a number of people. And what I have done um, is create forums for them to kind of, process through um, it's hard and you know as much as we in this field talk about self-care and talk about um, you know that what we're supposed to do many of us don't do it many of us don't do it for ourselves and so I do think it's important to I do think it's important for us to um, to have those forms I have one coming up actually for you know doctors and nurses um, that I'm doing and uh, you know, it's, 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 we have to create space for that. Mm -hmm. um, and if we cannot do what we traditionally have done, um, you know, we have to find ways to do it. And, and honestly, I think we, many people have done a good job in terms of using the virtual space in order to do things, uh, in order to kind of lean on one another and connect with one another in these difficult times. So in terms of what I've done, uh, that's, that's it. I've just kind of created virtual spaces and help people to process um, what's going on. Okay, all right, very good, very good. So on top of the grieving for COVID and this major pandemic, which we've never experienced before, we're now grieving as a black community, um, a collective trauma that has been uh, fixed upon us um, as a society. What are your thoughts about what you're seeing and what you're feeling and what do you think is, how, how you think this time is impacting the black community to have now the trauma of, and we'll, you know, particularly the death of um, George Floyd in such a heinous way. How do you think that is impacting uh, our community? I think, you know, most of us can look out the window and see that <laughs> um, the, the impact is, is rage. The impact is anger. The impact is I want to kind of lash out, you know, and it's happening in terms of rioting, maybe some looting, um, protesting. Um, I, you know, that, that's how people are responding. That's, that's the impact. Um, I am frustrated myself with 
with the um, narrative that it's okay to protest, but let's not do the other stuff. Let's not loot. Let's not riot. Um, it's okay to protest um, because it, I, I, it, it frustrates me a lot. Um, it takes a lot of gall for people to violate a people in the way that we have been violated and then kind of give them a script, if you will, for how they are to respond. There's no, there's lawlessness in how we are treated, but then everybody wants to kind of impose precepts of peace and, you know, humanity and law and morality when it comes to how we respond to that. And so um, I, I'm feeling, to be quite honest, uh, very intolerant of that narrative mm -hmm. that I'm hearing in relation to what people are seeing and how people are, are, being, are expressing how they're being impacted. Mm -hmm. So there's anger for the damage to material, but there's not the same anger and outrage for loss of life, historically. Exactly, right. exactly. Now you've been on the front lines in terms of being uh, Pan-African centered and fighting for the rights of uh, black folks for a long time, right? I, yeah, <laughs> I'd, I'd say so. Mm -hmm. And so what do you, how do you think, how do you juxtapose the work that you've done throughout your life with what you see happening now and what you want to see move, see happen moving forward? Hmm. I think we've been largely complicit and complacent with status quo um, up until this recent years. Uh, I'm not going to say now, but recent years. Um, we have been lulled to sleep under the illusion that we're making progress, that we've had a Black president, that oh, we can vote now, you know, there's a black person that runs this company or that company, there's a, a billionaire who's black, like these things have kind of lulled us to sleep under the notion that, okay, there's, we can break through the glass, that we can do this. And Honorable Elijah Muhammad has said that no one man can rise above the condition of his people. And as much as people want to kind of champion the, um, uh, success of the one, I am consistently seeing that regardless of the one, the many have, have not progressed. The many have not enjoyed the freedom, the justice, the equality that all of us really um, deserve. It's, it's divine right. By divine right, we deserve. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. I, in terms of, you know, the shifting, I, I feel like we, we were in that kind of really sleeping, we were sleeping. Um, now, I, I used to say, um, and it's probably an unpopular notion for many who might listen to this, um, when Trump was running for president, I, I didn't care if Trump got it or not, uh, won the presidency, because I was saying we kind of need somebody like him in order for us to begin to recognize that we don't have a friend in the White House 
because we haven't had friends in the White House, yet many of us sat at the table waiting because we thought because of a smile, because you went to church, because they played a saxophone or what have you, we thought we had a friend in the White House. And that again, that lulled us to sleep. And so we do need somebody who's saying, I really don't give a damn about your pain. I don't care about your suffering. This is my country, it's not yours. You know, we need somebody to smack us in the face and wake us up because he's being honest and he's being truthful with what is. Now people are beginning to look and say, hey, you know, we don't have a friend in the White House. Now we have to look at one another. We have to look toward one another to 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 support and help each other. And so that's kind of that seems to be the shift that's happening right now. And so it is painful, however. It is necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that I've been saying similar things and and expressing that sentiment that as difficult and as nasty as this man is, and I I won't even listen to him or watch him. You know, I turn it off. And anytime he comes on, I just don't want to even hear his voice because uh, it grates my nerves in such a such a such mm-hmm. a way. But I really think that the undoing of this system, which is not a system of justice anyway, it needed to be torn down. And he has come and taken a wrecking ball to it. And so I think that ultimately we're gonna be better for it. I just wonder about our ability to step back and contextualize it in a way that allow us to stay sane as a, co- as a collective and mentally push ourselves forward and project to, the, to understanding that it's not always gonna be this way, right? This is for a time, it is necessary, but we have an opportunity to go and create something different and truly wake up and not just accept what we've always been given, not just accept the status quo. I think there have been certain people that have always advocated and fought like yourself and uh, your organizations and, 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 and others, but there are, the vast majority haven't done it. And I think we might be pushing towards a tipping point that really moves this thing forward. What do you think about that? You, you just said something that may, it gave me a thought, but I, you know, we're fighting and I'm glad that there's, I guess, a conscientiousness that's happening. We're being awakened to something. We're being awakened to injustice. But yet at the same time, what's saddening to me is that we're fighting but what are we fighting for so many of us are fighting for equality with white people mm-hmm. we're fighting for recognition with white people we're fighting for, like for we're, what are we really fighting for um independence you know I, i've always said I, I don't know how i conceptualize this when i was quite young in my opinion if somebody gives it to you, it's not yours. Mm. And so that's always been kind of how I felt about it. You have to own independence. You have to own yourself, your own agency. Mm. And we, we are constantly begging other people for it. We'll never, we'll, we're not going to get it from somebody. Somebody cannot give that to us. It's already ours. But we're not looking internally. We keep looking to white people to sanction it, validate it, to give it, to say it's ours. And that's where we're making a fundamental mistake, in my opinion. Hmm. That is powerful. So how do you mentally prepare 
somebody to be able to grasp their power, grasp their independence in the way you just described. Mentally prepare them to grasp their power. Yeah. If you're working with a client that comes to you and they're struggling with this, what are you doing to help them get over the hump? You know, my mind goes to knowledge of self. Um, helping people to get an under, and, and when I say knowledge of self, you cannot understand self without understanding the other, okay? And so knowledge of self and knowledge of the other. So many of us think that we're all the same. And again, fundamental flaw, because we're not. We're not, we, we don't all have a piece of the pie. We're not all have, we don't all have equal footing in this world. And so I think many people make that mistake. And so if I was um, preparing someone mentally um, in order to stand up and, and be who God made them to be, I would want to start with, I guess, teaching them, teaching them about who they are, teaching them about where they came from, teaching them about them being, I'm talking about black people, the original people of the planet earth, right? And so like all of this goes into the who that they are and then also teaching them about the other and teaching them the, the truth about the other and the, how the other is in opposition to them. Mm. Um, and even when the smile comes, even when the job is given, don't think for half a second that um, I'm going to give you equal access with me in a house that I think is mine. Sure. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what we're and that's what we're expecting. I feel like that's what we're fighting for. And it, as I see it, you know, clearly Trump has said it. This they view America, the, 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 despite the fact that it was built on the black on the backs of black people, they view America and forget the fact that it was stolen from natives. Right. They view America as their home. Right. This is their home. They've commandeered it. They've taken it over. It is their home. What makes us think that somebody, we're going to come into someone's home and have equal authority and access and freedom in their home as them? It just doesn't make good sense. And we don't see that model anywhere else in the world that someone is subjugating their own selves to a people that don't even belong there, except with black people. Mm. So I, I just, I'm, I'm saying all that to say that um, I think we are misdirected. I, I think, I love that we're taking action. I love that we're motivated. I love that we're fighting, um, but it feels, to some extent that we're misdirected. We're fighting to go right back into the same condition that we're fighting to get out of. So you're, you're in terms of helping somebody that's sitting down with you move through that and get to a different space where they have ownership of self, where they're willing to look inward and do the work to create their own reality. Um, you're, guide me through some of the things you're utilizing to help folks move through that. I think a big piece of that is connectivity to other people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we can always make, you know, this it's always a one-off when you're talking about the individual. You can deny so much when you distill everything down to the individual. Mm -hmm. But when you're looking at the broader picture, 
Um, and that's what white people love to do when it comes to, you know, okay, there are a few bad apples. This cop was wrong. Oh, he was just wrong. He should never have done that. But that doesn't mean that all cops are bad. Mm -hmm. um, there's, a, there's a systemic um, inequality that is just kind of keeping, there's a knee in our neck every which way we turn. So I think part of it also, that education is um, helping us to connect with ourselves, with our collective family. Um, because if we don't do that, if we don't, if we don't have that connect, we'll always kind of see them as the one-off. Um, but when we see, when my brother hurts or my sister hurts, I hurt. When my brother or sister, you know, gains and, and I, we pull each other up together, you know, then we all gain. And so to the unity piece has to be, I think, a part of that mindset that if we were trying to groom and cultivate a certain, uh, you know, a person toward um, being able to be independent, I think that's a critical piece too. So that, that connection with others and that unity piece is uh, critical. So in a, in a sense, it sounds like you're taking people through the racial identity model, um, the stages of that, pre-encounter, encounter, and all that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I heard a um, comedian um, put out a tweet, uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before, and he said, uh, that, that going back to your uh, conversation about the bad apple, he said, yeah, there's one bad apple, um, there's 20 good apples watching him what about what about i'm paraphrasing but it's like 20 good apples were watching the one bad apple they didn't do anything about the bad apple so yeah, what does that mean what's the right. meaning of that right and then uh, there's a lot of sense in that um and we're not talking about that when this thing first kind of happened it was all about what darren chauvin or whatever his name is mm -hmm. um and i'm glad that people finally you know, made some noise and shine a light on the fact that there were other officers standing there just watching. The issue is not an individual, it's not one bad apple, it's not four bad apples, it's systemic. And it's deliberately systemic. Let's make no mistake about it. There's no, there's no um, accident um, as to why black people are, uh, there's a this, uh, disparity between how COVID has impacted black people and how it's impacted uh, white people. There's, it's not an accident, it's by design. Uh, so, you know, we, we have this disadvantage in so many layers and so many levels of our lives. Um, and we'll never, somebody, oh, I think it was on Facebook, uh, this, this sister was talking about, um, she compared, it was beautiful. She compared our struggle to a monopoly game it was a beautiful analogy. I know I'm not going to do it justice, but I'm going to give it a try. But basically she was saying, you know, she was talking about the 400 years of slavery and, 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 and um, uh, civil rights and so forth. And she was saying how, okay, now we're playing Monopoly and we didn't start off with anything. We didn't have, you know, you get certain amount of money from the beginning. We didn't start off with anything, but we went 400 years. And now we want to say, okay, now they own all the property, they own all the, and now we're trying to get in the game and get, but we have nothing mm -hmm. and they have everything. Right. And we're supposed to somehow catch up. How are we supposed to buy Park Place when we have nothing? Right. And you have 10 hotels on it, if you know the game, right? Yeah. And so like, I was like, that's such a beautiful, analogy. it makes so much sense in terms of, I mean, we've heard many analogies for where we are, but we have been put in an impossible 
dynamic in order to catch up. Yet people will say, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Look, I did it. Really? When, when they're sitting in generational wealth. <laughs> right. So I, I like I don't that. Know if I answered your question. No, I might have to use that myself. I like that. It was, it was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So um, this trauma that we've been observing um, this week, there, it's like, what day is it? Because it seems like it's something new every day. But let's let's go through this a bit. Um, I, I want to get your thoughts on the impact this is having on the psyche of of Black America. Observing this, the symbolic. Uh, representation of this cop with his knee on his neck and juxtaposed against Colin Kaepernick, who has been protesting for years and there's been so many people that had a problem with him protesting. And just the symbolic image of seeing those two side by side, what do you think this is doing to the collective uh, psyche of, of Black America? One, and two, do you think that the trauma of observing this video and other videos like it is, what do you think that's doing to the psyche of Black America? Um, in terms of what the videos, um, certainly uh, there's, certainly there's uh, what I think people understand and know as, as vicarious trauma. Mm -hmm. um, there's been a lot written on it with this rash of police brutality and so forth. Um, Break it down right quick. I'm sorry? Break it down right quick. Uh, so vicarious trauma being, I didn't experience it directly. I wasn't under direct threat, but I heard about your trauma. I heard about your threat. I, I saw it on the video. I read it in the news. And so it had an impact on me that traumatized me, though it didn't happen to me directly. So we have this, this not just this experience of where we're impacted directly, but so many of us have been vicariously traumatized um, by the news, mm -hmm. by seeing all of this brutality. Um, I, one thing that sticks in my head is, a, I'm so many people have seen it. It was on Facebook and I've used it in trainings. And um, it was a sister who was pulled over by a police officer. Um, and she was leaving a base. She was a military woman. She was leaving the base. She was driving very slowly. A white officer pulled her over and explained to her that he pulled her over because she was driving slowly. And um, she, you know, she's like, okay, well, she was a little confused by that thrown off. And uh, he explained that sometimes people are intoxicated or they're ill or something. So because she was driving slowly, he pulled her over. And, um, and nothing was wrong. He went on his way. And then she cuts this video. She pulled over and she, she was just crying profusely. And, and she began to talk about, you know, what that was like for her. She was terrified. Mm. She was, she had not done anything wrong. Mm -hmm. She serves this country, right? Um, and yet as a woman, a black woman pulled over by a white cop, Immediately, she thought she was looking at her last day. She thought she was looking at potential death. That is vicarious trauma. Mm -hmm. And so this is what's happening um, all over. 
when we are, we're seeing this video, we're, we're having these, we already have this trauma embedded in our, in our genes and we have this trauma that we experience every day. And then we have the trauma that we are experiencing vicariously. And so that's happening. But I think in terms of the video you asked about, I think something else is happening also. Something else very insidious. And that is that somehow in some way, we're getting very cold and callous about the violence that we're seeing toward each other. I feel like if I saw some of these scenes playing out in front of me, the last thing I would do is reach for my phone to video it. I, th I feel like I wouldn't even think to go for my phone. I, I certainly have been in happy situations where I'm like, oh, God, I forgot to take a picture. I forgot to do a video. Um, I wouldn't think to go for my phone, but yet I see all these videos and I hear what sounds like young black men going, oh, oh, man, don't do that. Oh, and, and I'm thinking to myself, put the damn phone down and kick when I was screaming at the video, this down, down, how there was people standing around if any one of them threw themselves at this man our brother would be here today hmm. he might be beat up i ain't gonna lie i'm sure he'll get he'll get but our brother would be alive today we something else happened in the psyche of black people because we're seeing that it feels like we're getting this i don't know malaise about it we're get, we're, we're we're not appropriately enraged about it we have played this and seen it play out time and time again so we all know our roles so the police have their role the abused black person has their role and then the bystanders have their role and their role is to just shout and take video and 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 i say no no that that doesn't feel right to me at all but i think that's a product of what we're seeing do you think people have been just trained so well to stand down by the years and years of socialization that that's what needs that that's how they need to respond because I've, I've wondered about that a lot myself too and so it's really surprising to me to even see the throngs of people that are protesting all over the country who are in a sense not backing down um and the cops are getting even more brash uh, even they know they're being filmed and don't seem to care mm. they, they pushed this 75 year old man down last night and he's bleeding from his head and one of them tries to help him the other one's like push him no you don't help him keep going keep marching it's like wow there's no humanity mm. it, it it just amazes me but the fact that people are willing to stand up and say no I don't care if you have to push me down. I don't care if you have to do whatever you have to do. I'm not running away. And in fact, I'm in a sense going to fight you. Um, I think people are getting fed up. I think people are getting fed up. But I also think um, as part of this trauma, fear was bred into us mm -hmm. for generations. Um, that was a tactic of the slave master to breathe fear and which is why he was brutal to uh one slave in front of another slave um because now i've got you in check because you don't want that to happen to you know you don't want what happened to him or her to happen to you and so that fear is one of our biggest enemies it does keep us in place it's it's like you know the invisible uh electric fence 
really that, you know, people put in their yards for dogs. We will, we will go, but we'll only go but so far because we are fearful of, of going the extent. We're fearful of standing up for ourselves. And that's been put in us. That's been put in us. So that psychological uh, training, if you will, uh, that we've been trained to stay, quote unquote, in our place and not, not move against that. That's a powerful way to think about that. Um, how do you think we break out of that? I only know one way. I only know one way, and that is to submit to a power that's bigger than your fear. And um, for, I, for me, or for many of us, I guess, it would be God. Um, if you are filled with fear, what, what could potentially, you've already calculated the cost of this situation that's before you, what could potentially make someone to go into that despite the fear that they feel, except that they believe that something, that there is a power that's bigger than that fear, that there's a power that will protect them? Right. And so many of us don't have that in our hand. We, we're big and bad when we got a gun or maybe a knife or we know martial arts. So, we, you know, but so we don't have we have less fear. But when we're filled with fear, honestly, that's the only thing that I can think of is to be able to be reliant on a power that we feel is bigger than the fear that we're facing. So are you drawing a connection between spirit and mental health? I think I'm doing just that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm saying God and, but spirit, yes. The, you know, the, the, I think there's a power in, um, there's a power in spirit. We all have that embedded within us. And when we call on or call forth the spirit of our ancestors, call forth the spirit of God, call forth the spirit of, you know, those who came before us. I feel like there's a, there's a truth and there's a power in that that allows us to act against our fear. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, historically, traditionally, we've been a people that have moved in and through spirit. And I think that's one of the things that we've lost um, in this day. Uh, that we're paying dearly for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So is that, would you say that that's one of the things we should utilize to restore our mental health and help us to get through these current conditions that we're under, COVID, uh, trauma of this uh, death? And, and we didn't even talk about like the, the, the Amy Cooper, the woman in the park and uh, the madness behind, like that, that's a whole psychological hmm. <laughs> study in and of itself. Like we could break that down. So uh, what are your thoughts about that? I, I mean, it's, it's real clear. White people can't even deny it. They even telling the truth about this woman. I mean, it is so evident um, what played out in that space, although we still want to lie about it. I mean, this woman weaponized her white privilege against a black man, knowingly, consciously, deliberately, right? And so like, 
is, is real clear. And, and usually it doesn't come across that crystal clear. And so situations like that create debate. And, but who, no, I, don't, I can't recall hearing, hearing any debates about that. I think everybody on every side of the die was real clear about what played, itself, what played out in that situation. But, you know, I, something you said just reminded me of when I first started my uh, doctoral work, from the first year, we had to write about our dissertation and what we would talk about and develop a, an idea about that. And um, mine had something to do with slavery and intergenerational, you know, transmission of trauma and so forth. But I had a piece in there from the beginning that I had to remove, but I had a piece in there that I was, I, I guess, hypothesized that um, not only did like the experience of slavery and all that has happened impact black people, but that it had to have impact white people too. Mm. That you can't take somebody's life. You can't hang somebody up from a tree, sell tickets to come see it, cut pieces of their body off and wear it around your neck or put it on your mantle and something not be happening to you as a human being. Mm. You can't watch and perpetuate the atrocities that have been perpetuated against black people by so many of their hands through so many years, centuries, and nothing not be happening to your psyche. Mm. So I think too, there's something happened to the psyche of white people through that experience. And I feel like that Amy Cooper woman is kind of like, you know, it, it's like, the perfect kind of package this is what this is what it is and so um yeah that's very interesting uh last podcast i was talking about the need to study white people and here you are saying a similar thing but in a different way i haven't never thought about it from that perspective that those people who would be smiling at a lynching like there's something psychologically off with that and the transmission of that energy. Like we talk about multi-generational trauma for us on the receiving end, but there's also multi-generational trauma on that end as well. And it is producing a, a psychological dynamic that is not healthy. Mm. How how does one nurture a an immunity, an emotional immunity to the brutality of another human being? You have to do some mental gymnastics. And 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 I, as I was thinking about the people who would make excuses for, like, so here we go. They are doing this George Floyd challenge. White people are getting they're doing these TikToks and and making videos where they are putting their knee on another white person's neck that is a thing now mm. and i said what in the, who thought that this was a good thing to do my daughter what? just showed me that <laughs> i'm sorry it is just it's absurdity to me my daughter just showed me that Ben and Jerry's now has an ice cream out. I don't know if you saw this. Mm -hmm. And it's called Resistance. I think it had a black face on it. 
So people are capitalizing off my pain. Hmm. And people are creating neat poems and images and memes and the messages are appropriate, but the lightness of it, it is offensive to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a, we may have a, a whole nother, I mean, a number of studies and books can be written about this now that I'm thinking about it. Like somebody needs to study why the person that's, that would engage in participating in this challenge, what is going on in their mind that they say, yeah, this man just died in this heinous way. Let's make a game about it and spread it across the internet. Is that what it's, it's intended to be funny or a game? Yes, 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 yes. I haven't seen it. It's, it's, a, it's this challenge that white people are doing. There, like that's, there's a mental disease going on with somebody that would choose to do that. Which is historically accurate. Because again, that's what they did when they lynched us. It's right. the same behavior. Right. It's the same that's mindset. What was, that's what I was getting at, like bringing it forward to today. This, and, and so that's that multi-generational transmission. The, the same people that would do that would be the same people that were at the lynching, smiling and looking up and, and oh, we're having a great time. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And there's something wrong with that. But these are the CEOs and the people who are, you know, uh, with all of the monopoly pieces, the boardwalks in the park place, and, and they're running the country and looking down at other people going, well, why don't you just pull yourself up? Hmm. All of their craziness. That is, wow. wow. It's, it's something to ponder. And I don't know that I've, I, I don't know that I've, read or seen any literature on that but i do think it's something that deserves to be it's got to be something out there it seems like it's something on everything but um it's some it's something to that i mean you you are a sick people you are a sick people um if you if you would engage in that 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 is definitely definitely the case okay and it not bother you right right mm-hmm. so what are, you, what are you thinking in terms of projections moving forward? How do we, as a community, come together and heal from uh, all of this stuff that's going on right now? Uh, take us out with some positive thoughts and, and, and interventions, things we can do to stay in a positive space, in a healing space uh, that allows for growth and, and positivity. Oh, I think on an individual level, on an, I'm, I'm going to kind of put this, I guess, on two levels, individual level and then a collective. And so mm-hmm. on an individual level, I think, you know, we have to breathe. We have to pause. We have to breathe. Um, we have to take a moment to kind of take stock of where we are, to locate ourselves in the midst of all that's going on. I'm actually still doing that right now because I haven't fully... Um, process through Um, so like kind of you know being able to tune into what we're feeling Uh, the anger the pain the rage whatever it might be Uh, all too often we take a bite the bit grin and bear it 
kind of approach to pain. It's what we do. We've endured it and it's a part of life and we just kind of suck it up and move it on and we can't keep doing that. We're transmitting pain and trauma and distress to our future generations, generation after generation after generation. And so we do have to take a moment. And I think it starts with being able to kind of like, you know, untangle the ball of emotion that we experience when these things happen because it's always so multi-layered um so and then once we do that then kind of like you know let it out cry punch a pillow whatever you need to do talk about it but then kind of like what are some of the concrete things that we can do what can i do and sometimes the answer is nothing Sometimes the answer to some levels of this problem is nothing. But often there are some things that we can do um, on an individual level. We can do some more self-care. Um, we can talk to our family members, talk to our broader you know, uh, circle of people that we are connected with. And we can you know, help to educate one another and check in on one another and be there for one another. So, you know, that's kind of something we can do on an individual level. I, I want to underscore um, the importance on an individual level, again, of us paying attention to our health, of us paying attention to our diet. I'm talking to myself <laughs> as well. Um, of us kind of like, you know, doing some of the things that we do need to do in order to strengthen, um, you know, our physical and psychological are inextricable. Um, and often we just kind of like keep them separate, but they are, we are one unified being and we have to take care of the whole being. So taking care of ourselves, taking care of our psych, psyche um, is also a part of taking care of our physical being. So eating well, um, that will, you know, shore us up as well. Um, taking time to go for a walk or go for a run or do these types of things. So I think those things are really important as well, especially with COVID in the, in the wings. Um, so I think, you know, uh, maybe even on an individual level, kind of, you know, joining on, connecting with other people, having conversations, um, but on a collective level, I think pushing constantly and persistently toward unity is critical. We have, to, the only way we're going to get through what we're getting through, we're not going to get through as an individual. Obama rose to the highest seat in this land and was still um, portrayed as a monkey. He was still maligned. He was still treated like a nigger. Um, we're not going to do it by getting smarter, by getting richer, by getting a better zip code. We're not going to do it that way. But our unity and coming together as a people, connecting with one another and stop allowing all these, you know, the illusions of division to divide us and um, make us kind of posit one against the other. Um, so the unity is the bigger piece, I think. Um, and then also recognizing ourselves on the world stage. Um, we don't exist here in isolation. Um, we got brothers and sisters all over the world. 
And we might, when we begin to open up our eyes and look, recognize that there's a similar story going on in the continent. There's a similar story going on in Europe. There's a similar story going on in China. There's a similar story going on in Korea. There's a similar story of Black people being on the bottom going on everywhere in this world. So there's no place that we can turn to say, oh, but it's safe over here. Oh, but it's okay over here. So we have to turn to one another. We have to begin to recognize that our plight is a communal one. Our, our struggle is a communal one. And that's how we're going to succeed and get through it if we succeed together. And also, we have to keep spirit out front, in the middle, and behind us as well. All right, the sister said a word. U-N-I-T-Y, U-N-I-T-Y, that's a unity. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I um, really appreciate this conversation. Um, we got into some broad things and kind of, uh, you know, touched on some things that I think are important, uh, particularly given this time. And uh, we're going to be having this dialogue and this conversation for some time to come. There are multiple streams and multiple avenues of answers that we need to consider uh, as we're moving. And, and things are kind of, every day it seems like things are changing. There's something new happening every single day is before 2020 and after 2020 i'm telling you this is <laughs> we're in a different we're in a totally different space um, but i'm 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 optimistic and i'm happy to be here and i'm looking forward to great things happening for us um collectively mm -hmm. as a community i really feel like um this is our time and we're gonna make it happen so yeah. Well, I thank you so much. Why don't you say a little bit about how folks can connect with you um, and, and talk a little bit about your practice and uh, some of the trainings that you do. If people are, wanna, are interested in having you come, come to do some talks or some um, uh, workshops, training, that kind of thing. Yeah, so, okay. Um, private practice in New Jersey, central New Jersey. Um, also licensed in New York. Um, so I, I can work with people in New York as well. Uh, I am currently doing virtual services. I'm yeah. not seeing people um, in person at this point. Um, so people can, in the area, can contact me. Um, but uh, that's my work and I love doing what I do. Um, it feels relevant, it feels helpful. Um, I think what I feel most passionate about is more my consulting work mm -hmm. uh, and uh, my consulting work has been really in the area of trauma. Um, I tend to, uh, you know, do engagements, speaking, educating people about trauma, and not just the trauma on an individual level, but the collective traumas that we experience, uh, the structural racism and the cultural violence that we experience and all. Um, so uh, if you interested in having someone to come and educate you about trauma and, mm -hmm. um, <sighs> host a discussion about that. I, I definitely um, am happy to do that. And if anybody wants to see more about me and uh, what I do, you can always go to my website at swiftsolutionsconsultant.com. Uh, That's swiftsolutions with an S, consultant.com. Um, and uh, you can get my phone number and everything that way as well. Okay. Thank you, Anthony. Yes, yes. Very, very, 
very happy to have had you. This was a wonderful conversation, and I appreciate you taking time and you're giving your energy. Um, you're on the front lines, have been fighting for our people and um, doing the work to make sure that we elevate our mental health, uh, the work you're doing with the black psychologists there um, in New Jersey. Um, is fabulous. You're always on the go, doing stuff for the community, and I really appreciate that. And that, and you, you're an inspiration. I, I admire the work that you're doing and your selflessness in doing that work. So, um, I'm trying to catch up to you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, we always want you all to be critical thinkers and to ask those questions: Why? How? What is the reason this is happening? Don't just accept what anybody is telling you. Find out for yourself. Make it real, make it true for yourself so that you can heal from the inside yourself and then we can heal our communities and then we can progress and be restore ourselves to our rightful places. So once again, thank you for joining us on Black Folks Through Therapy and we will be talking to you next time. Peace. In closing, I want to remind you to always be a critical thinker as it relates to your mental health and well-being. We always want to inspire you to consciously question your choices to ensure that you are doing those things that bring you happiness and fulfillment. Please don't forget to subscribe to our channel and share the information with others who might benefit. Connect with us on Twitter at HeartMindHealer and visit our Facebook and Instagram pages at Alashe Center. A-L-A-S-E Center. Our website is alashe.net, A-L-A-S-E dot net. And feel free to contact us for any consultations or questions you might have. Things that I might be missing, running too fast to stop.